Have you ever wondered why Christians worship on Sunday? I mean, you're here, right? So you know that's what we do. But if somebody asked you, well, why Sunday? Would you know how to answer that question? Did someone just choose a day at some point? Right? It's interesting that Muslims gather for prayer on Friday. Jews go to the synagogue on Saturday, right? And Christians gather for worship on Sunday. Now, I don't know enough about Islamic teaching to know why they gather to pray on Friday, but I do know why the Jews gather on Saturday, and you probably do as well. Back in the beginning, when God created the world, he created everything in six days, and he rested on the seventh, and then he commanded his people, the Jews, to observe the seventh day as a Sabbath, a day of rest. So that's the day that they observe Saturday. Why then do Christians observe Sunday as our holy day, our day of worship? Well, we gather to worship on Sunday, not merely to be different, not like, well, Sunday, uh, you know, Saturday was taken, and so I guess we'll just choose the next one. No, it's Sunday because Sunday is the day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why Christians gather on Sunday. Jesus died on Friday. He stayed in the tomb on Saturday, the day of rest, and rose on the first day of the week, Sunday. This is evidently the day that the Apostle John is talking about in the first chapter of Revelation when he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What day is the Lord's day? Well, it's got to be the day that Jesus rose victorious, right? That's got to be the Lord's Day. That's Sunday. We also see uh, Christians gathering to worship on Sunday in the book of Acts. In chapter 20, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. So Paul gathered with a group of Christians. They were breaking bread, which uh, might indicate that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the week. Paul also instructs the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 16. to uh, He says on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside. And store it up as he may prosper. So that there will be no collecting when I come. He's going to collect an offering. To give relief to some of the saints in uh, Jerusalem. And so he says what you need to do. Is you need to set something aside. On the first day of every week. Probably because that was the day they were gathering. It was the day of worship. Some Christians even refer to this as the eighth day. Right? So you've got the, the first week of creation, right? Six days of creation, the seventh day as a day of rest, and then the eighth day, the day of resurrection, the day of new creation. Regardless of what you want to call it, the Lord's Day, the eighth day, resurrection day, or whatever, Sunday is the day of resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection is the day of new beginnings. That's the reason why we worship not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday. It's a reminder of the resurrection, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in the Gospel of John. We're going to finish out chapter 19 and begin chapter 20. So we'll pick it up in chapter 19, verse 38. We saw last week what John had to say about Jesus' death. This morning we're going to see what he has to say about Jesus' burial 
and then his resurrection. So beginning in John 19, verse 38. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, after Jesus died, it's important and significant that we have an account of his burial. Right? It seems rather obvious that Jesus was buried after he died, but it's not something that we can assume or we can overlook. It's incredibly important. Uh, Paul, even in his summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, which we read earlier, includes the burial of Jesus. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Why is it so significant that Jesus was buried? Well, for one thing, 
That's how we know, part of how we know, that Jesus was really and truly dead. That He experienced death like any other human being would. He became as one of us. He took on flesh and blood so that He could die in our place. And His death was not like a fake. It was not like an almost death, like kind of like you would die, but not really. He really truly died. That's important. And not only that, but as the death of Jesus is narrated, we learn about a couple of disciples of Jesus that we didn't know were disciples. The first one we learn about is a man named Joseph of Arimathea. John tells us that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he says in verse 38. Now, Scripture does not look favorably on secret disciples. Right? Jesus doesn't say to people, hey, look, I know it's scary to follow me, so if you don't want to tell anybody, that's fine. Right? He doesn't say that. Right? He says that you need to confess me before men. Right? And if you deny me before men, then I'm going to deny you. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. Joseph had been a secret disciple of Jesus, but I think it's pretty clear at this point he's no longer a secret disciple. I think this, in a way, is Joseph's public confession that he follows Jesus. Because not just anybody goes to Pilate after Jesus has been executed as a false king and says, I would like to take care of his body. Would you entrust it to me? Can I have the body of, of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's as good as a public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus as you can have, right, short of baptism. Uh, so Joseph is, has been a secret disciple, but I think you could say is no longer a secret disciple because he publicly demonstrates his love and care and allegiance to Jesus by requesting the privilege of caring for his body. Not only that, but the tomb that Jesus is going to be laid in is Joseph's own tomb. Now, John doesn't tell us that here. He just tells us that there was a tomb in the garden nearby and that Jesus was laid there, that it was a new tomb, that nobody had been placed there before. But Matthew, in his gospel, in Matthew 27, says that Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. So not only is he asking for the body of Jesus, but he is placing the body of Jesus in the tomb that he had prepared evidently for himself. Again, that's as good of a declaration of faith at this point as you could make. So Joseph is now a disciple of Jesus publicly. And there's also another man we probably didn't expect to see again. And that's Nicodemus in verse 39. Now, Nicodemus, of course, is famous for coming to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. He talked to Jesus. He had a high opinion of Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus said as much. He said to Nicodemus that he didn't believe. There was much about Jesus that Nicodemus, at that time at least, did not understand. But here he is, after Jesus' death, where, arguably... It is much harder to follow Jesus now in this moment than it was when he was teaching to multitudes and performing miracles 
Right? This is the time where it's easy to say, never mind, I'm out. That's what Peter did. I don't know this guy. I'm not his disciple. But in this lowest, darkest moment where Jesus' dead body is being prepared to be placed in a tomb, Nicodemus says, I'll help. I'll help care for him. I think Nicodemus does believe now. He brings a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. I don't know how much that costs, but nothing that weighs 75 pounds is cheap, right? This is an investment that Nicodemus is making in Jesus. It's probably not as, um, certainly not as extreme, right, as the, the woman who broke the, the jar of pure nard and poured it out on Jesus' feet, but it's similar, This is a significant gesture from Nicodemus of the value of Jesus. Again, I think that's a pretty good indication that at this point, Nicodemus, like Joseph, believes. They follow the burial custom of the Jews as best they can, given their time constraints. It's it's about to be the Sabbath, and so that's why... The, um, the Jews had wanted to uh, sort of rush uh, the death of the men who were on the cross where Jesus had already died, but the other two men, they broke their legs so that they would die more quickly so that they wouldn't be left on the cross on Saturday, which is the Sabbath. And this is during Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's an especially holy Saturday. So they're constrained right by the by time and so that's why they put Jesus in the tomb where they do the tomb of Joseph which is nearby uh, because they can't carry him too far because they, they've got to get this done so then uh, that's what John says in verse 42 because of the Jewish day of preparation right since the tomb was close at hand they laid Jesus there again the point of emphasizing that and narrating that is to let us know that Jesus really died, that he was really buried. Because if it's not true that Jesus really died, then his resurrection doesn't mean anything. Because it wasn't really a resurrection. If he wasn't really dead, it's not really a big deal that he came back to life because he wasn't ever dead in the first place. But if he went into that tomb dead and came out alive. That is a big deal. And that changes everything. And that's exactly what happened. On Saturday, they don't do anything, right? It's the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. You're not even supposed to walk too terribly far. So nothing happens on Saturday. Jesus' body simply laying in the tomb. But on Sunday, verse 1 tells us, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she comes to the place where Jesus' body has been buried. It's Sunday. It's now the Lord's Day, right? Because Jesus has risen on this day. Nobody's calling it that yet, but that's what it's going to be called. And it's clear from the way that Mary and everyone else responds that they were not expecting Jesus' resurrection. Not at all, right? Jesus had told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to die, 
And on the third day, I'm going to rise. He told them, but it, it did not sink in. They could not grasp what he was saying. So when Mary comes to the tomb and she sees the stone rolled away, she doesn't say, yes, I knew it. He was telling us the truth. He is really alive. He's not here. No, if anything, Mary is distraught. She sees the stone rolled away, and she doesn't celebrate. Instead, she runs, verse 2 says, and she goes to Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, who's writing this gospel. And she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, there's no um, like emotional cue in the Bible to tell you like what tone of voice she said that in, but I don't think it's hard to imagine. It was not a dry report. Hey guys, just wanted you to know that the stone is gone and Jesus' body is not there. Probably she is weeping, maybe like pulling on her hair. Like I think she's distraught, right? I, and I'm reading between the lines, it doesn't say that, but I, I can't imagine Mary feeling any other way, the way she's responding. I think she is distressed and so she goes to two of his you know, chief disciples and tells them, we've got a problem. Jesus' body is gone. Right? And you can tell from the way she responds later <clears throat> to Jesus, who she, think is, she thinks is the gardener, right? Who's, that would be the person who's taking care of that area. And she says, look, just, just tell me where you've laid him. I will go and get him and take care of him. Probably what she's thinking is, we did this in a hurry. We placed him in that tomb because it was close by. And this guy who oversees this place is like, that guy's not supposed to be there. And took his body away. And she's like, just tell me where he is. We'll put him somewhere. Just let me know. Where is he? She's probably thinking something has happened because we didn't, you know, we didn't like have time to set all this up properly. And someone has moved him. So she's distressed. And... Peter and John, to their credit, respond quickly, right? In fact, they literally run to the tomb. I mean, you got to love just sort of the, the humanness about what's going on here, right? That Peter and John are running to the tomb, and John doesn't, doesn't tell us it's him. You know, he's talking about himself in the third person, but he's like, you know, the other one got there first. <laughs> you know, because he was running faster. He outran Peter. I mean, it's the Bible. I got to tell the truth, right? I mean, that's what it feels <laughs> Kind of what it feels like, but anyway, he's so they're both running to the tomb, and they get there. And verse five says, "So this is John stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John just like gets to the doorway, kind of looks in, you know, and he's like, hey, like I see the the cloths that Jesus' body have been wrapped in, but Jesus is not there. But he's not going in there." Peter, who's you know always the more forward, the more impetuous, like he he just goes right on in, right? So John's kind of looking in. He sees that the linen cloths are not there. Verse six says Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why all this talk about all these cloths? What what does this matter? Well, think about it like this. If someone had stolen the body, do you think they'd unwrap it first? I don't think so. The removal of the cloths 
indicate that Jesus is alive. It's just one more piece of evidence right, that Jesus' body was not stolen, but he rose. And not only that, but there's a contrast here between another resurrection that we're told about in the Gospel of John, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus' resurrection, of course, is a little bit different because Lazarus doesn't get to live forever after Jesus raises him from from the dead. He has to die again at some point, right? Jesus' resurrection is different in that sense, but it's also different in this sense. When Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't say, okay, be right there. Let me get all this stuff off first. He walks out. He's still bound in the cloths, right? So, John eleven forty four says, The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Lazarus didn't take off his own cloths. He had to have somebody remove them from him. But Jesus evidently removed his own. Not only that, one of them he even folded up nicely and set it apart by itself. Again, it doesn't look like a place that's been raided. It looks like a place that's been vacated. Because that's what happened. Jesus came out on his own. When John sees this, uh, verse 8 says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. So at that moment, John seems to get it. Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. But he tells us that up to that point, they didn't really understand the, not only importance, but the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. What does He mean They didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. This is something that Jesus himself will tell them when he uh, appears to them in Luke 24, verse 44. He says to Jesus, he says, these are my words, or Jesus says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That includes his death and his resurrection. That that was written about in the scripture. It was prophesied and those prophecies had to be fulfilled. If they understood what the scripture said about the Messiah, they would have known, should have known, that the resurrection was not an option. It was something that God had said would happen and must happen. Not only so that the prophecies are fulfilled, but also because without the resurrection, there would be no salvation. Jesus' death by itself does not save us. Only Jesus' death with his resurrection saves us. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. When he says, if Christ, is verse 17, if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, if you believe in a Messiah, a Savior, who died, but He didn't rise, that faith does you no good, and your sins are not forgiven. It's 
I thought Jesus died to pay for our sin. He did. But did it work? The reason we know it worked, the evidence of the success, the vindication of Jesus' sacrifice, is His resurrection. If He didn't rise, He died like everybody else. The fact that He rose is the chief piece of evidence that He is exactly who He always claimed to be. And that what He said He came to do, He really and truly accomplished. So He had to rise from the dead. And one other reason He had to rise, that's what the Father had charged Him to do. And as the Son, perfectly fulfilling the Father's will, He could not stop short of rising from the dead. Jesus Himself told us in John 10, 18, about His death, about His life. He says, No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge... I have received from my Father. This is what I've been sent to do. This is my task. I have to do this. Now, it may seem like Peter and John have an advantage over us in believing in the resurrection because they got to see the empty tomb with their own eyes. And in a sense, they do have an advantage. But don't forget how difficult it was to actually live through these things. Because right? there's not a lot of people that you watch live through it. They go, you go yeah, they, they, man, they were right there with Jesus all the way. They understood it all. They got it. They knew it. No. They do have something of an advantage. But we should also remember what Jesus says later to Thomas. Thomas insisted on seeing before he believed. Even when the other disciples had seen Jesus risen, he said, well, I'm not, I'm not believing, I'm not taking it on your word. I'm not believing unless I see Jesus himself, unless I can put my hands where they put the nails. I'm not going to believe. And Jesus, in his mercy and grace toward Thomas, revealed himself to him, allowed Thomas, invited Thomas even to touch him where he had been crucified. But he also said to Thomas this, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's you, if you believe in Jesus. We weren't there. We didn't witness it. But Jesus pronounces you blessed if you believe in Him. Now, Peter and John, they go back home. Verse 10. But Mary... She stays. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Evidently, she hasn't looked in there yet. She saw the stone rolled away. She ran away and told Peter and John. They came. They looked in. Now Mary looks for herself. And when she does, she sees two angels there inside the tomb. John says they were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, if Jesus is dead, what kind of question is that? 
If Jesus is still dead, you don't ask somebody who loved that person, why are you weeping? That would be a cruel question. The reason they ask her that question is because they know what she has not yet grasped. That Jesus is not dead. Not only is he not there, she knows that, but that he is alive. If he's alive, you've got no reason to cry. No reason to be weeping. When they ask her that question, she tells them why she's weeping. She says, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She's not convinced that he's risen. She thinks he's just been taken somewhere else, but she still loves him. She still cares for him and she is distraught and broken hearted over the fact that she doesn't know where his body has been laid. So she tells them that, and then she turns around, it says in verse 14, and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't know that it's him. There's all kinds of reasons why she might not know that it's him, right? But one of them probably is you often don't see someone you're not expecting to see. Right? You ever run into somebody at the grocery store that you normally run into somewhere else, you know, like at work or something, and they're not wearing their work clothes, and you have to do like a double take? You're like, oh, I didn't realize that was you. You know, you got sunglasses and a hat on. I'm used to seeing you at church or at work, and, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting to see you. I didn't recognize that it was you, right? That's probably part of the thing. She's not expecting to see Jesus, so she doesn't, even though he's standing right there. So he speaks to her, and he says, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Right? And this is where it says that you know, she was supposed him to be the gardener. So she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I will take him away. And then this has to be one of the most moving and poignant moments in all of Scripture, where Jesus speaks her name. And that's when she knows it's him. You know, there are people in your life that they say, all they have to do is say your name and you recognize their voice, expecting to hear it or not. When he says her name, she knows it's him. She calls him rabbi, which means teacher, John tells us. And Jesus said to her, John says, verse 17, do not cling to me. Immediately he tells her, I'm not staying. I don't want you to be disappointed by what's about to happen, but this, this is not a resumption of life as it was before. I, I, I'm not staying here. Instead, he says, um, for, he says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I, I, I'm not staying Here indefinitely, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going to ascend. So don't cling to me. Don't expect me to stay. Instead, go tell the others what's about to happen. I'm going to ascend. So she does. Verse 18. It says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Peter and John saw the empty tomb. Mary saw Jesus. 
the first one that John tells us got to see Jesus himself after his resurrection. And she told him the other, tells him the other things too, that he had said these things to her. She announces the good news to the disciples. This is why we worship on Sunday. Because it was the first day of the week when the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive and appeared to Mary and then began to appear to the other disciples. We gather on Sunday, not just on Easter, but every Sunday, because that's the day the Lord walked out of the tomb. That's the day when death was defeated. That's the day when our salvation was sealed through Jesus' victory. We gather in the name of the Lord, on the day of the Lord, to worship the Lord who lives and reigns and is coming again. And we say, Amen. Amen. Come Lord Jesus.